Good morning, Eastside family. We want to allow our children ages four through third grade to make their way in that direction to junior worship. And as you're doing so, I want to, as I always do at this time, to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship. That is our worship offering. And there are four different ways you can make your offering at this time. You can mail a check to the church, our church address. You can go to your bank and set up an automatic draft. Actually, you can do that online through your bank. That works very well. You can go to our website at eastsidesprings.com, click on Give on the home page, follow the simple instructions, or if you're here in person, there are, there's a basket there at the table on the way out where you can give your contribution as well. Hey, let's get our Bibles and turn to the book of Jude. We're going to be looking this morning in Jude, verses 24 and 25. And not only do we have Laquana, who is visiting with us today, but we also want to welcome this morning Bill Netterman and Doris Trailer, who are with us this morning from the organization Guinness Book of World Records. They are actually here to witness and verify the most number of sermons ever preached in the book of Jude. We are, we are setting history today. There is no Bill Netterman or, or Doris Trailer. Actually, Doris is a friend of mine, probably watching in Baton Rouge. What's he talking about me for? Well, I don't know if we're setting, <laughs> if we're setting a world record or not. I'm kind of sad. You're probably not because we're coming to the end of, what, of the study of what we call the biggest little book ever that is incredibly filled and packed with so many, I believe, needed and, and relevant and practical truths for our lives today. And so we're closing in today in verses 24 and 25 what is, what is customarily known of as Jude's doxology. And while typically in Jude's day in the first century a, a letter would have some type of formal closing of a, of a doxology which was some type of a praise to a deity... And so Jude is following that format. Here it's a praise to God. It's more than just a ritual formality that we see here at the end of Jude. It is filled. These two verses are filled with powerful and needed truths that flow out of all that Jude has, has had to say up to this point. As a matter of fact, there's so much here that we're going to start a whole nother series just on these two verses next week. Just kidding. <laughs> I want this morning for God to do for you what he did for me with these two verses. And I prayed for this, that you would see a picture in this doxology. And I prayed that God would paint this picture through the inspiration of these words on your minds, paint the picture and, and impress them on your hearts because this is, is a picture of you. And it's, it's incredible. And I pray that you see it. Now up to this point, <laughs> in, in the book of Jude, we have seen some really grim and graphic, unpleasant pictures ton of them. We've seen a picture of wolves in sheep's clothing who have secretly sh uh, slipped in among the, the flock of God's people. We've seen a picture of, of 
the dead bodies of Israelites strewn across the desert. We've seen a picture of angels bound in chains of darkness. We saw a picture of the inhabitants in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah completely reduced to ashes. We saw a picture of the fires of eternal torment. We saw a scene of murder, of Cain murdering his brother Abel. We saw a picture of a donkey arguing with his rider. We saw the painful story of the earth opening up and we saw a picture of a man named Korah and his companions being swallowed up into the earth. We saw a picture of an orchard of dead fruit trees. We've seen a picture of dangerous seas fomenting waves of trash and debris. We saw a picture of the blackest darkness Jude says is reserved forever. We saw a picture of church-going people who were grumblers and critics, prideful and divisive. Last week we saw a picture of of people trapped and, and perishing in a fire. And even a picture of of soiled and stained underwear. I'm not making this up. All of that in Jude. And so now, with this black backdrop, like a jeweler, Jude walks in with, with a white pearl or a diamond, and it's seen in its greatest brilliance as you place it on the blackness of this backdrop. And he paints this incredibly beautiful and glorious picture, and it overshadows all the rest of what we've seen. And he does so with with nine brush strokes, as we're going to call them this morning. The first brushstroke of this painting, he makes with the words, he starts out in verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from falling. Or some of your translations say to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And so with this first brushstroke, we understand that, that he, not we, he paints this picture. What you're going to see is not what you have done. This is, this is his work. And after so many dark and depressing pictures up to this point describing the attack that's being brought against the Christian faith in the church in Jude's day as we relate to that in our day, you see this and you think, how can anything good come from this? How in the world can you conclude this in any other, any other way than just discouragement and depression? How can anyone or anything out of this survive? How can I, how can you stand? Truth is, you can't. You're not able. You're not able, but He is. And it's crazy. This past week, Karen and I were in Nashville at a conference, and I was, I was, I got up this morning before we went to downtown Nashville to the conference, and I was reading this passage and, and, and reflecting over to him who was able to keep you from falling, and we stepped out of the arena where the conference was, and we went to the, um, 
crosswalk, and as we're waiting for the crosswalk to cross the street, there stood a man who had a hard time keeping himself from falling. He was smoking something. He, he, he could barely keep his balance. And I looked at his shirt, and it said, he is able. And I thought, what a sermon illustration right there handed to me. I just got through reading, to him who is able to keep you from falling. And he didn't fall. Now, that's not really a direct parallel from the book of Jude. But the point, the point is this. In our journey of life, there are times when life situations and circumstances cause us to sway, cause us to wonder if we're going to be able to stand, cause us to say, I don't know if I can go on. I can't take any more. Have you been feeling that ever? Honestly, if I were to be very transparent, even this past week, I said, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know if I have what it takes. And the truth is, if it depends on me to stand, I will not. If it's up to me to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished, it will not happen. But at this incredible moment, when I stand under the pressure of whatever life's challenges are, and I know that I will fall, he reminds me that he is able to, to keep me from falling. It's his work. It's not mine. There are similar words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. And this is almost like he's copying this from Jude. Or Jude's copying this from Paul. He says, he will also keep you firm to the end. So that you will be blameless. We're going to see that theme in a minute. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You can count on this. Even though it feels like I'm not going to be able to stand for another moment. You can count on this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful. Listen to this. And he will do it. You can't. But he will. We read in Ephesians 30, there's chapter 3, there are many verses, I don't have time for all of them, about God is able. He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And it's more than we can imagine because it is way, way, way beyond us. It's interesting, the word used here for able is a well-known Greek word, dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. This is talking about God's explosive power working through us and in us. The forces that come against our faith and that come against the church are strong and mighty. But they are no match for God. No one is. Nothing is. He is able to keep you. And so therefore Jude writes in verse 21, so you keep yourselves in Him. You stay right by Him. As one writer states, to walk with God is to walk in safety, even on the most dangerous and most slippery path. Brush stroke number one is he is able. This is his painting. This is his work. Number two, brush stroke number two, he is able to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you 
before his glorious presence. Notice it says you. So you need to see you. Okay? This is a picture of you. But look where you are. He presents you before his presence. You don't present yourself. Notice that. And you're not just standing in his presence. You're standing in his glorious presence. And so with that word glorious, with this definition, you need to see brilliance and light. You need to see brightness that surrounds the presence of God. These are visible manifestations of his holiness, of his perfect nature, of his majesty, and of his power. That's you before the brilliant glory of God. And what's quite fascinating about that is in every case, when someone in, scriptural, in the scripture stories find themselves and realize, I'm standing before God. You think of Moses with a burning bush. You think of Peter when he was catching on to who Jesus was. You think of Isaiah in his call. In every single one of those cases, when they realize, my goodness, I'm standing before the glorious presence of God, they were keenly and quickly aware of their own unworthiness, seeing the light of his glory, just this like opening the closet into the darkness of the rodents and roaches and filth of my life and my uncleanness. But that's not this picture as you stand before his glorious presence. He makes a third stroke of this picture. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. Listen. Without fault. That's you. Without fault. Or your translation, some may say blameless. In spite of all that you have said that you should not have said. And I don't know about you, but I've said a lot of horrible things. And hurt a lot of people with my words. In spite of all that you've said that you should not have said. In spite of all that you have done that you should not have done. And I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of terrible things. In spite of the many thoughts that you have thought that you should not have thought. That were ungodly attitudes. I've had them. In spite of the fact that you are completely undeserving to be in this picture. You were standing here before him without fault. Blameless before God. This was his, this was his plan before creation. In Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation. This is what he was thinking about. This was the picture he had planned on painting. He chose us in him before the creation of the world, us to be holy. That's like he is holy and to be blameless in his sight. That was his plan. And now in Jude, as the Bible story is closing, there we stand. And fourthly, the fourth stroke, brush stroke of this picture is we stand there with great joy. And, and <laughs> you think, great joy? Because typically, 
when one would think of being in God's presence, feelings of joy don't come to mind. Feelings of guilt and shame and fear come to mind. These are the feelings I have whenever I was presented in high school to the principal's office. I never, I never stood before the, the principal with feelings of great joy. But here I am. Here you are. Standing in the glorious presence of God. Not just joy, but great joy. And you go unpack that word. And joy is, is, is not enough. It's extreme. It's, it could, you could translate this as exaltation. I mean, it's coming, it's coming from, a, from a root word that means to spring up. It means to gush up. It means to, to, to jump or to leap for joy. And so Jude's picture here, this is not, this is not a still picture. This is a... One of those, I don't know if you call it a gif or a jif. Everybody kind of disagrees. It's one of these pictures. It's something, it's something, it's something like this where you're jumping and you're jumping and you're jumping and you're jumping and you look stupid and you look stupid and you look embarrassing. But who cares? Who cares? You don't care because everyone else is jumping. Everyone else is dancing, dancing because you have a joy that cannot be contained. <laughs> You cannot be contained. Oh, church, if we, if we could grasp the reality and the truths of this picture, what would our worship look like? Fifth stroke. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Fifth stroke. To the only God, our Savior. And so now he paints a foundational truth of our faith. There's only one God in this picture. As we read in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord is one. That's like a foundation, all right? The foundational pillar that's laid in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because there are none other. As I was in a Bible study with a couple of young men who were talking to me about polytheism and how one day they would become gods and create their own worlds, we went to Isaiah 43 and it just, it just ends the argument. Listen to this. God says, know and believe and understand. So he wants you to get this. Know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There is one God. And he goes on to say, and apart from me, it's interesting, he says, there is no Savior. He equates God with the Savior. Jude does exactly the same thing. And maybe he's drawing from Isaiah there. As Jude gives us a picture of God as our Savior in his doxology, helping us understand that you stand before God, I stand before God, not because, wow, what I have achieved. It's only because He is my Savior. It's only because of what He has done. 
to save me, to rescue me, to deliver me from hell and to forgive me and cleanse me to the point that I stand before His glorious presence faultless. That's why I jump for joy like a fool. And the sixth stroke, the sixth stroke to Him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Not to you, not to me, not to anyone or anything else. This is a picture we see of us standing before the glorious presence of God, dancing and leaping for joy without fault, without blame. It's a picture of worship, ascribing to Him glory with meaning his excellence, his splendor, ascribing to him his majesty, meaning his preeminence, describing to him his power, meaning his dominion, his complete rule in the world and in the church and on earth and in heaven and in our lives, and ascribing to him authority, his sovereign rule. That's the picture of incredible worship. And all of this we see in this picture, he says, in the seventh brush stroke, brush stroke, is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of God's work in creation, all of God's work in salvation, he has done in and through Jesus Christ. It's the gospel God came to this earth and became man in Christ. He died on the cross. He was buried and was resurrected. And therefore, because of taking my place in death, my sins are forgiven. He looks upon me without fault. No shame. No fear. Because of his resurrection, I have the certain hope of standing for him in life after death. And all of this becomes mine. I, I enter into this picture the moment I receive him and accept him and confess him by faith and follow him as my Savior. Or as Jude writes, as Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you've been paying attention, he mentions Jesus as Lord four times in 25 verses. In verse 4, we read that he is our only sovereign, our only sovereign and Lord, equating him with God. This story of this man, Jesus Christ, is more than a story of a man. This is God, our Savior. It's an incredible picture. And so you ask yourself, that's nice, but how long will it last? Will it, like some pictures, will it in time fade over the years? Jude writes, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he gives the, the eighth brush stroke before all ages, now, and forevermore. He, he is the only God, our Savior, from eternity, past, present, and future. 
He is, as the Hebrew writer states in chapter 13, he is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. John in Revelation writes, he is the one who, who is, no, who, wa- who is, who was, and who is to come. And so this reality of this unchanging nature, of this reality of me standing for the presence of God is rooted in the unchanging, eternal nature of God. And then with the final brushstroke, of this picture, <laughs> Jude lays a, a coat of polyurethane over the whole canvas painting. And if, if you work with polyurethane, you understand it's, um, it's a protection. It's a, uh, a sealant. He seals it. He protects it with a guarantee, declaring the certainty and the assurance and the unchanging nature of this picture with the simple word, Amen. Meaning, that's the way it is. So be it. So let it be. So it ought to be, and so it is, and so it shall forever be. Or in our contemporary vernacular, perhaps we would say, oh, yes, yes, indeed. I would like to close now with, with a reading to you. Reading to you a portion of my, my, um, my journal Last year, as, as I was, as I had come to these two verses, and I read them, and, and as I typically do, I'll do, I'll take Theo and Bella, and I'll go for a walk, and I'll and I'll reflect and talk to God about what I am reading, and then uh, if something really strikes me, I will I will come back and write down whatever thoughts that I have to write them down quickly, or, or I lose them. And so as soon as I get back to the house. I grabbed my journal and I, I wrote these words. You're going to hear anxiety in these words. This was in October of last year. I mean, COVID was going, wasn't it? You're going to hear COVID anxieties and the elections were around the corner. So you're going to hear some political anxiety in these words. October 2nd, it's dated 2020. Just just came out this morning that President Trump and Melania tested positive for COVID-19. Strange how that affected me. What if he dies? What if Pence becomes president? What if Biden wins? What if Biden dies and Harris becomes president? How will this affect the new Supreme Court justice nominee? What will happen to our nation? What will happen to my life? Will Karen ever be able to go see her mom? Will I or should I go see my dad? What will happen to our church? This and many more questions raced through my head on my walk. I then brought to mind the verse I had just read and reflected over in Jude 25. No matter what happens to our nation and its leaders in our lives, God will continue to be on the throne with all glory, majesty, power, and authority. His kingdom will never fail, never, both now and forevermore. We need this picture because maybe, maybe, maybe COVID 
we'll be behind us someday. In Delta. But you know, I heard on the news the other day, some guy was saying, yeah, but it's pretty likely we're going to have some future pandemics. Like, oh, how exciting. I'm pretty sure I cannot say, but trust me, one day there will be no longer political tension in this world. There will never be any more racial tension while we're here on this earth. I don't think I can say that. I am certain, I am certain I, I, that, there, that I can say with certainty we will always face as Christians and as a church spiritual warfare and battles that come against us. There are always going to be, it's just part of life, there will always be factors to Threaten your family, your marriage, your peace, your stability, your joy, our church. And so therefore we're given this picture of our God who's able to keep us from falling. And one day who will present us before his glorious presence without fault, great joy. And therefore, forever he will reign as he always has. And there, forever, we will worship him. Let's stand and pray. So I'll, I'll just ask of it again, Lord. You do what I can't do. You, you, you speak about how you will take your words and you will impress them and engrave them on our hearts. So do that. Take it from these pages into our heads, through our ears and into our minds, and from our minds into our hearts and let them transform our hearts into to lives that are lived with hope. And Father, as we close our study in Jude, we hear and, and receive your words to rise up as your people and fight for the faith in response to the attacks and threats that come our way. And we thank you that the battle is won, that the victory is ours, that in spite of the attacks and the threats that we will fall, that you're able to keep us from falling. And so we commit to keeping ourselves in you and in your protective love. And with these words of Jews closing doxology, we express our worship to you. To you who are able to keep us from falling and to present us before your glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To you, the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord through, for all ages now and forevermore. And all the church said, Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.